Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. We're just moving furniture, getting everything ready for this morning. How are you? Just good? A few of you? The rest of you will pray for. Every day in every way, I'm getting better and better. <clears throat> I want to issue a disclaimer. I just moved from here to there. My lungs changed position, and so you hear me maybe a little winded, and so you sit there and go, breathe, Pastor. So I'm just going to let you know that that is going to be a feature until I get the last little bit of pneumonia out of this lower lobe of this lung. And so I'm just letting you know so you don't sit on the edge of your seat saying, He's going to fall out of the chair. He's going to faint. No, I feel good. (sighs) (sighs) Breathing room air. Smells good. I didn't lose my taste and smell. It adjusted slightly where it was just a little bit off. But Dr. Pepper tastes just like Dr. Pepper again. (sighs) And a boomstick at the ballpark. Still tastes like chili cheese and hot dog. So uh, <clears throat> I've been putting in the miles. And this morning, I was out of bed, got ready to the church. I've sat a lot in a chair. And it's not good to sit a lot in a chair because you need to be up. And so I should have walked for a mile before I came to church this morning. Not really. <clears throat> but uh, I just want to let you know I feel fine. My voice is not going to be exactly like it was, and my breathing, but that's all changing steadily. And we thank the Lord. Went to the doctor this week, got another chest x-ray, and she said, you're doing everything right, everything's good. You probably don't even need oxygen anymore. Give the Lord a hand clap. It's in the car, just in case it's needed. But I've been... I played a golf tournament on Tuesday, carried a little stool along to stop on the way to the ball. Um, My team carried me, so pray for them. Their shoulders are still sore. We shot a 58 altogether. That was good. Then two days later, I went to the Ranger game. Did had to do a little walking. Thank God for elevators. And then on last night... I decided to see if I could go twice and they'd still win. So we went as a family and enjoyed the open roof and the time together and a 7-2 to victory. So uh, we went ahead and did that. And I've, I've calculated that this year the Rangers win every game I attend. So how many of you agree with me? They'll give me a special mascot booth, luxury booth for me to bring my friends. And uh, I'll bring you, and we can go to the ballpark. That's not going to happen. So those of you that just had your hopes raised a little, down a little bit, and here we go. I want to speak to you this morning. Well, before I do, look back and see the Bentles. The Bentles are with us. All the way from the shores of Lake Granbury. Or is that the Brazos? The Brazos River. 
from the shores of the Brazos River in Granbury, right here at Vision Church. And then I look over to my left. How many of you remember the Nelsons? Gary and Gail. They're here from the far north country in another county. I think y'all are north or northwest of Boyd or you're from northwest of Boyd. Way out in the sticks. These people retire and then they get a house built out in the sticks with the deer and the antelope. And so it's a treat to see you here this morning. We're so glad you're here. And the rest of us that are uh, regular attenders and otherwise, welcome. And then you that are joining us on video, I have a cousin in Tampa that uh, tunes in. We have people across the islands of the sea, Malta, Switzerland, others, uh, Arizona. So we are a transnational, transglobal ministry reaching around the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. That's true. <clears throat> and there's going to be people who come up to you in eternity and go, hey, I used to go to your church. And you're going to go, what? Well, I did it online. I couldn't get to a church. I was in quarantine, shut down, locked down, or I was forbidden. But I got on my laptop and I participated and accepted Jesus as my Savior. Won't that be powerful to have that happen? I'm looking forward to that. If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to turn with me, let's go to the book of Acts. And we're in the fourth chapter. We're just going to cover 32 through 37. We've been talking about grace a lot, haven't we? Grace events. And this morning, the title of my message is Great Grace. There's that adjective. Great Grace. Sure beats barely any, doesn't it? If you had a choice between barely any and great grace, how many of you like that? Great time. Great amount of money. Right? Great resources. Great joy. Exceedingly great joy. When the Bible does it, he throws two adjectives together. Exceedingly great joy. Great grace. We've already discovered that grace events happen as a result of alignment and action. Some of us think they're by accident. And here's how a lot of the world thinks. And if we're not careful, this mentality comes into the church and surfaces in a theology that says, well, you know, God sometimes just does these grace explosions we don't know where they came from, where they go, and it's just an accident looking for a place to happen, and some people call them coincidences. But every, if you look real deep, how many of you have heard of great revivals? What is that? That's a grace explosion. Wouldn't you say it's a grace explosion if an entire island comes in repentance to Jesus? The New Hebrides revival, some islands off the coast of Great Britain, some people want to say, well, God just showed up, shook that island. Those people, all, many of them, most of them, almost all of them were born again. And then it was over. Well, you know, God just desires to do things. He does them, he shows up, and then off he goes. It's kind of fickle, isn't it? Now, we don't want to go to the other stream. Hey, we can plan a revival. We can do everything, and we can make it happen. That would be pretty tragic, wouldn't it, to be man-manufactured? Well, what happens? If you look deep into the background, 
you'll find that there are people who conspire together to live for God. Fast, pray, study the Word, and they say, what would happen if we decided to live according to what the Word of God says? What would happen if we aligned not just our Sunday, but every day of the week, every moment we're awake, every conversation we have? That sounds pretty fanatical, doesn't it? They just align with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God, with the heart of God. They become hungry. They begin to pray. And what you will find at the root of every one of these grace explosions that we call revivals and awakenings is a group of people who come together in a conspiracy and align themselves and sanctify themselves to the Lord just as we see the pattern in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is a pattern. That's why Luke records it. He's showing us, look, if you'll align with these things in the kingdom of heaven, what will happen? Great grace! Great grace! Isn't that awesome? And so these are not just, well, God wanted to, so he did it. You will find that God's people humbled themselves and prayed and sought his face, sanctified themselves, consecrated themselves, aligned with the word of God, cried out to God, got a burden for their neighbors, began to pray in a cottage every Friday night. And what happened? A powerful showing up of the grace of God. Not an accident. It was an appointment that was met when God's people met their appointment with Him. So we align, and then here's what we need to do. Take advantage of it. Ride the wave. Stretch that baby out. Amen? Why do revivals end? Why do awakenings end? I'd argue there's two reasons. They accomplish the purpose to which they were sent. And number two, people go on about their life. People just disconnect from it and say, well, this was nice, but you know what? You can't live this way. Let's reread the book of Acts. What did they do? They lived and extended out times of great grace and they took it with them to the uttermost parts of the earth they took that light they took that power they took those miracles they took those powerful things and they dared to say plain vanilla people like us can convey the great grace of god and we can touch other common people just like us and they can know for sure there is a god who is not somewhere out there but a god who is here revealing himself has revealed himself in his son and is now powerfully working by his spirit. Grace events always result in pushback. How many of you love pushback? How many of you have ever experienced a real advance in the spirit of God? Excitement, revival, renewal. And then you're met with a Monday. Have you noticed that Monday comes after Sunday? Have you noticed that practical and reality tends to meet you after you leave the air-conditioned sanctuary of the church and have a way of ringing your phone and showing up in life. It's really critical how we handle that Monday that follows that Sunday. It's really important that we understand something. There's going to be pushback. Don't let the smile fall off your face. Don't let the joy of the Lord seep away, but begin to press against that thing which presses against you. It all, it always results in a pushback. 
There's an answer. And what's the answer? You push back. Hello? When the enemy pushes against you because of what God's doing in your life, what do you do? Now, you were told by your parents, maybe even your pastor, when people give you a rough time, don't answer in kind. Now, you can't fight the devil carnally. Here's what you do. Double down. Just commit yourself even deeper to the things that tick the devil off. Think about that. Some of us go, I don't want to tick him off worse. I don't want to make him angrier. What's he going to do if God be for us? Who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son, how will he not also by him freely give us all things? Some of us are afraid when the devil gets ticked off at us and pushes that if we push back, he's going to double down on us. Let me tell you something. He doesn't have the chips. He doesn't have the authority. He doesn't have the power. He's probably hitting you with the best shot he's got. And here's what you do. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm just going to go do that more. I'm going to read more scripture. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to fast more. I'm going to tell more people about the Lord. How do you like that? And you know what? He doesn't have an answer for that. He doesn't. Aren't you glad? He's limited. He doesn't have an answer. Here's the next thing. Walking in grace requires wisdom and courage. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for people who quit instantly. There's going to be pushback. And to walk in grace, to walk in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do it by faith, don't we? Faith is a great connector to that grace. It requires wisdom. Knowing the way of the Lord and walking in it and courage, you have to have a spine of steel. Here's great news. You may be yellow-bellied and jellyfish when it comes to your spine. But Jesus doesn't quit and he doesn't turn from the enemy. And if you'll let Jesus stand up inside of you, he's got plenty of spine and he's not afraid. He is the lion of Judah. And if you'll let him just roar through you, if you'll let him just manifest himself by his spirit in you, you'll find that there will be a wisdom that comes down from above and a courage that springs up like a well in your spirit. And you're going to say, I didn't know I had that spine. I didn't know I had that courage. I didn't know I had that strength. Where did that come from? Thank you, Lord. You showed up in the battle. You showed up when I engaged the enemy. I wasn't sure if you would come, but here you are and I can stand and I can walk and I can roar and I can press the battle back against the enemy by the power of the Spirit. Wow. I talked to you last week that walking in grace requires an embracing of weakness. How many of you can hear the weakness this morning? Right? Remember, it's not that bad. It's irritating to you more than it is to me. It bothers you worse than it bothers me. And I apologized last week for not letting you off the hook earlier and acknowledging that. An effective communicator says, now here, before we go any further, I just want to let you know, I'm going to struggle to breathe. It's okay. Don't call 911. Don't have to run up here. It'll be fine. It sounds worse than it feels to me. And everybody last week was like, breathe, Pastor. Yeah, through the nose out. I had nurses back there checking their own pulse. So I just want to let you off the hook. It's fine, okay? 
Now we get into this. Walking in grace is meant to get deeper and richer as time goes on. Think about that. Every imagery, I love that prophetic imagery, that vision of Ezekiel, I think it was Ezekiel, who walked out into the river that was flowing from the temple, and he walked out and measured it, ankle deep, knee deep, hip deep, and as far as he wanted to go, he could wade out into those waters. Just where were they? This was the flow of God's provision from the temple. Can I tell you something? God's not stingy and he's not running out of supply. He always does more than we can ask or think. He does it abundantly according to his riches and glory. We serve an abundant God who always does more than we ever ask for. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Lord, that you give and you give and you give. Walking in grace is meant to get deeper and richer as time goes on. So how many of you have had some time? As we move forward into time, we don't do so in fear. We do so with expectation, saying, God's got more for me. I love it when I encounter somebody who's 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, and there's a spryness about them. There's a twinkle in their eye, and they say, God still has something for me. I was so inspired by a gentleman, a minister, by the name of Tom, who served at the Greenwood Funeral Home as a funeral director, a wonderful artist and musician. And he was so full of the Spirit of God and positivity. He just reeked positivity and encouragement. He had a little bit of touch of Parkinson's because his head would waver like this. He was still serving the funeral home to his 80th birthday. And when I met him, I said, when I grow up, I want to be like Tom. What did Tom embody? Walking in grace. He got up every morning, took a walk and prayed and asked the Lord what was going to happen that day that he would need him for. He wasn't sitting there saying, when is the, the chariot coming for me? Well, you wouldn't blame him if he's 80, 85. But he got up with an anticipation. This is a new day. This is a day that the Lord has made. And there is a grace in this day that's new. And I can have a new experience with my Savior and my Lord. And I can convey that with encouragement and giving into other people's lives. Everyone he touched, everyone he spoke to, everywhere he went. He, it was like when he took a step and left, some flowers grew up in the in the imprint. It was amazing. And I still say to this day, Lord, I can really relate. Let me be like Tom, except don't let me go bald. Bald as a cue ball. Wonderful man. Wonderful man. He had discovered something. Walking in grace is meant to get deeper and richer as time goes by. One day, he didn't get up for his walk. Instead, he took a walk with the Lord. And he hasn't stopped since. I miss Tom because I miss that grace. All the believers, Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Everybody say one. Isn't that a beautiful picture? In what? Heart and mind. Now that's pretty hard to just get one other person beside me that's one in heart and mind. One of the great challenges of marriage is to stay one in heart 
and mind. Here's one way that I know we're in as close to perfect unity as we can be in. I can complete her thoughts. She will say something. I will be about to say something. I'll stop because she's about to say it. And she says exactly what's in my mind. What's that tell me? Heart and mind. We're together. I find that when we feel estranged because of life and stuff, I'm not on the same page with her. It's telling me our unity, there's a disconnection there. And so by coming close together, communicating, putting our hearts back together, it's back. She's completing my thoughts. And I tell her, get out of my head. I was about to say that same thing. It just puts us, I don't even heard this expression. This really sounds kind of 60s new age on the same wavelength. But when your spirit and your soul are in alignment, there's a moving together that happens. It's a beautiful picture of unity. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. How many of you have heard that expression, mine? Sometimes that's just the worst expression. The way they pictured it in Finding Nemo. Some of you are sitting there looking at me going, some of you are hearing this in your head right now. Let me just bring it out here where we all can enjoy it. Mine, 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 mine. Right? They're all in it for themselves and their next meal. What a picture. Paul would say it this way. Are they not brute beasts and living according to the dictates of their own belly. He said of the people of the island of Crete, are you ready for this? This was their characteristic as a culture. Slow-bellied beasts and Cretans. He didn't mean dummies. They were from the island of Crete. They were slow-bellied beasts. This was their reputation. They were like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. But here's what they're doing. They've moved away from that. How many of you know it takes the Spirit of God to do that? Something has to intervene. Love has to surface in some life. They shared that no one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. Right? Mine. Some of you have experienced this. I've watched this on your faces. You, A visitor comes. Guess what? Visitors have no idea what chair you usually sit in. And so a couple visitors will come in. Here's an empty chair. And then somebody will come in. Because we're just creatures of habit. If I assigned seating, you all would rebel and you would go random on me every Sunday. But I never do that. And so what do you do? Creatures of habit, you plop down in your chair. Yeah. Some of you even put an afghan or something. I remember people would mark their chairs, you know. Leave a monogrammed Bible. Hint, visitor. See this Bible with a name on it? I left an extra one here. I bought it so it would save my seat on Sunday. And then somebody will come in, go in for their regular seat and go, Oop! Who are they? Who's that? They're in my chair. Now, this has not happened in Vision Church, but I've talked with pastors, you know. We have lunch. And they've explained that there are some people come in and go, tap them on the shoulder. These are our seats. You're going to have to find 
somewhere else. How many of you want to go back to that church the next Sunday? I think I'll choose another seat and have them chase me out of that one until I finally find one that I can be seated in. That's lots of what's going on here. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Do you know one reason that the world is running towards socialism and communism right now? Because they're hungry for someone to care less about themselves and care more about them. That's the motivation. Now, did I say, therefore, communism and socialism is wonderful? No. No. What I said was, the reason is people are so sick and tired of selfishness and hearing the cackle of the seagulls. Mine, 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 mine. That they're just looking for somebody who will care more for them than they do themselves. Does that sound familiar? God who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. They don't realize it, but they're actually primed down in this God-shaped vacuum that they're trying to fill with materialism and other things that there's those who are saying, you know what? If we just shared, the whole world would just be wonderful. And hopefully there's going to be Coca-Cola. Right? We want to teach the whole world to sing in perfect harmony. Now, let me tell you the other side of that coin. As long as men are unconverted and don't know Christ, no shot, no chance. And here's the irony. Everywhere, without exception, that socialism is pressing in, Marxism, eventually communism. That's the boiling of the frogs. You know what the first thing they do is? Eliminate the church. Isn't that ironic? We want everybody to love and share, but we want to deny the only pathway to it. What's the only shot we have? If a person is born again, cares more about Jesus and heaven and the way than they do themselves. That's the only way to die to yourself. Take up the cross, follow him, and become a lover of men's souls, just like your Lord and Savior, where you won't care what it is you possess, because everything is laid up in heaven. This is just material stuff. It can be burned, it can be lost, it can be stolen, and it can be inconvenient. Amen? And it's helpful to go about your life to have some money in your account. But it's there so that it can be used as a tool of sharing. But that comes out of a personal choice. Look at this unity that we see. Not tolerance, but an eager joining. How many of you know if you're just tolerating each other in a marriage, you're not unified? You can live at the same address in the same house, sleep in the same bed, but your strongest value is tolerance. What happens if you go to church with a group of people and your strongest value is tolerance? You can avoid a church split, but you can't move into grace. You can't move into grace because you can't simply tolerate to get to grace. You can be a religious person and tolerate church service on Sunday. You can tolerate everything that you have to do in order to make God happy, but that's a religious activity that has nothing to do with the relationship we have with Christ and with each other. It's an eager joining. 
It's an eager joining together. It's a spiritual connection and it's an agreement of mind, will, and emotion. You share your heart. You're of the same spirit, but you move together and you begin to share opinion, perspective, worldview, and philosophy, and you move together not with tolerance. What does tolerance look like? Well, okay, we're just going to have to put up with that today. That's tolerance. Hey, maybe there's something the Lord wants to show us. Maybe there's a voice that needs to speak to us. We're a bit uncomfortable with his personality, but maybe he has a message for us. We serve the Lord. The Lord knows what he's doing. And you know what? If nothing else, we'll learn not to do that again. That sounds different, doesn't it? But if it's like another one of your harebrained schemes, oh, okay. And then we mumble and drag our feet. The children of Israel did that coming out of Egypt. They did that coming into the promised land. But this is an eager joining together. It's an agreement of the mind, will, and emotion. And then we see this. Giving. Isn't this a beautiful picture? Giving is an act that springs from the heart. Sharing is one of the greatest indicators of an open heart. Do you know what my mom had to teach me to do? Share. I liked my friends, but I didn't love them. Don't, don't mention the candy. It's hard to get as it is. I'm not going to give it away to my friends. Don't you realize I have four friends here playing? If you open the Reese cup bag, I've counted. There's 16 in there. They each get two. I'm down to 50% of my former stock. I made, I intended to have one a day for about two weeks and have two on Sunday to celebrate. Don't talk about the candy. Don't mention those red delicious apples we picked up fresh from the tree five miles down the road. It will deplete our stock. They can go home and eat apples at home. You ever heard that voice? That was eight-year-old Doug. I'm hoping that 58-year-old Doug says, Hey, you know what? I just got this in a golf tournament. Let me give this to you. I got this club. I really don't need it. Here, maybe you can use it. And I give. I'm learning to give, even at 58. And when I get around people who like to give, it rubs off on me. Why? Because my default setting is stingy. Mine? 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 What's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. Right? I want to acquire. I want to stockpile. I want to hoard. I want to hold on to. But look what these people are doing. They're giving. And it springs from their heart. Jesus has given to us eternal life. How can we hang on to this stuff? You need it. We're going to give it to you. And sharing is one of the greatest indicators of an open heart. Show me a stingy person. I'll show you a person that can't receive grace. Show me a closed-hearted person that can't give. I'll show you somebody who can't receive. Really receive in humility. They'll receive it thinking they deserve it. But how many of you know you can't get salvation that way? You can't receive anything from the Lord. Let's roll on. With great power, the disciples continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What's their number one story? Jesus, whom you crucified. And we laid his body in a borrowed tomb. It was guarded by Roman soldiers. 
And just like he said, on the third day, he was raised physically from the grave. And with these eyeballs, we saw him. And with my finger, I touched him. With my hands, we touched him. We ate meals with him for 40 days. He is alive. Our Messiah is alive. Give the Lord a hand clap. He's alive. This is their first message. They stay on the first thing. What's the most important testimony somebody needs to hear from you? That Jesus is alive and here's how you know. Did you hear that? You can even jot that down if you'd like to. That Jesus is alive and risen from the dead physically. And this is how you know. If you've experienced a healing, you have tangible evidence that Jesus is alive. He was raised up physically from the dead. And he has authority over sickness. Amen? If you have been transformed and changed in your spirit, you have tangible evidence. I used to be this way, but he transformed me and changed me to this. It was a miracle of transformation because he is alive and has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has given me new life in my spirit. And now the things I used to want to do, I no longer want to do. And the things I had no interest in has been changed. And I want to be just like him. Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. This is their testimony. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And notice this. This is what they're doing. And what? Much grace was upon them. They kept the first thing, the first thing, and that was their testimony. And much grace, let me make this note. The depth and range of this grace is set not by God, but by us. You only go as wide as you want to go. You only go as deep as you want to go. Your hand is on the thermostat. Your hand is on the valve. Sometimes you say, Lord, I just want you to pour more out on me. And he's going, but you have the valve off. What do you mean, Lord? Can't you just out of the blue zap me with lightning? Well, I could, but it'd kill you. I just want you to fill me up. Okay, open the valve. Get stuff out of the way. Make room. Set your life in a course towards me. Seek after me with all of your heart. Come after me. And what will happen? I'll know why he's cast you out. He says, if you seek... Knock, ask, you will, it'll be open to you. You'll encounter it. You'll receive it. And by the way, he always gives more than we can ask or think. Amen. Press down, shaken together, running over. So our alignment means all the difference between a trickle and an outpouring. Hello? Your hand is on the valve. You're determining the level, the depth, and the extent of the flow of the grace of God in your life right now. It's time to stop asking God for the grace and asking God for the wisdom. God, what do I need to adjust? How do I need to align? Where do I need to repent? How do I need to take more into my life of you? How can I do that? It even helps us if you contact your pastor and you say, Pastor, you set the bar Sunday. I need to have more grace in my life. Can we sit down and talk? Maybe we can talk over coffee about what that looks like. You know what my answer is? Absolutely. 
We can FaceTime. We can go to Starbucks. I come to your house. You can come to my house. Let's sit down for an hour out on the patio, maybe even hit a golf ball or two. And let's talk about how more grace can flow in your life. It's not rocket science, and it's not mystical just waiting for the bolt out of the blue. It's about opening the valve. It's about allowing, pursuing, going after it. Isn't that great that God would do that? He's not in the pushy, manipulative business. He's in the invitational come in and sup with him business. But he comes and sups with you. Okay? If you go to his house, you tend to stay. If he comes to your house, it's more of a visit. It says, it goes on to say, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and set it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Isn't that awesome? Basic needs were met. Now, didn't Scripture say that he would provide our needs according to his riches and glory? Isn't that awesome? Here's the other good news. He does it through people. God has never printed a $100 bill. Hello? But I've heard where somebody lost one and it wrapped around a sunflower stalk in a field in Kansas and God gave a vision to a preacher who had five, four kids and was hungry wondering where his next meal was coming from. And as he prayed, wondering where his next meal was coming from, God showed him the corner of the country road, some signage and a hundred dollar bill wrapped around a sunflower stalk. So what did he do? He took a risk with a quarter tank of gas in his old car, got the kids, loaded them in and said, God showed me how he's going to provide for us today. Drove 10 miles away, stopped at that corner, walked out into the sunflower field and found a $100 bill wrapped around a sunflower stalk by the wind. Took it, went into town, got what he needed and fed his family, not just for a week, a couple weeks back in those days. They were taking care. Give the Lord a hand clap. If you're wondering who that was, that was Brother Leon Johnston, the father of Darius Johnston and Elwin Johnston and Diane Martin. It actually happened to him. God gave him a vision to show him. Now, some rich guy who didn't miss that $100 bill could have blown out his car. I have no idea. God didn't print the $100 bill, but he sure made sure that the wealth of the wealthy was laid up for the righteous and took care of him but there are other times that he wants us to go and take what we have which is more than we need and give it to somebody who's really in need they put it at the apostles feet and it was what distributed you know there's a difference between a distribution and a handout do you know that A handout is you get a number, walk by, no one talks to you. No one knows who you are, no one knows your name. And under the conditions of anonymity and keeping your pride intact, you gather what it is that you have need of. You don't even have to say thank you. But what happens when it's distributed? 
someone comes to you, recognizes your need, goes and gets the resources, and then connects with you, loves you, builds a bridge to you, cares for you, and lets you know, Jesus is alive. He has transformed our life. And he's turned us from creatures that say, mine, 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 into people who say, freely we've received. We want to freely give. God has blessed us in our fields and in our lands. But more importantly, he has blessed us because he has come as our savior. He has washed us from our sins. He has taken away our burdens and our sins. He has transformed us. He has healed us. He has heard our prayers and he has sent us Christ, our Messiah. And he's the answer for our sin and our future and our eternity. Would you put your hands together and praise him? Those resources came with authority and wisdom and connected with people. And then I want to close with this. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up here and lead us in some songs as we close out and give us an opportunity to ask that question as we pray and worship. And you're feel free as they, as we worship to just zone in with the Lord and let this be an altar call, even right where you are. If you want to come up here and pray, that's great. If you want somebody to pray for you, we can do that and pray over your needs. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means what? Barnabas, son of encouragement. A word about encouragement. The most overlooked and undervalued movements of grace are those Barnabas movements. It's when somebody comes with a just-in-time small word and shares it with you in the darkness. And it becomes an explosion of light and a transforming grace. The smallest of seeds like a mustard seed. And they come to you and here's what they do. They encourage you. They strengthen your spirit. They speak a word to you in the course of one minute that changes your mood, your circumstances, your situation, your attitude. And you know it hits your spirit powerfully. What you've just encountered is an encouragement. And you know what Barnabas' nickname was? Barnabas was son of encouragement, not money bags. Daddy Warbucks. Right? Sugar Daddy. All of his ministry, Barnabas was not known for the guy who gave a large sum of money. The guy who you can always go to when you need money. He was known as the guy that had a way of encouraging even an apostle. Somebody who could speak a word to you or do something for you that changed everything, no matter how insignificant it seemed. I'm wondering, and I want to ask you these questions as we pray. Honey, as you come, are we happy with the trickle? Do we want the legacy of our life or the legacy of Vision Church to be the place where there's an occasional trickle of grace. Subheading. At least that's better than nothing. Is that what we want to live? Is that how we want our life to play out? Or do we want to be a person that is known as always moving more, deeper, going from ankle deep, to shin deep, to knee deep, to hip deep, to waist deep, to losing ourselves in the river, 
of God's grace and saying, there's more. There's more there. And I'm going to go after it. You have to start somewhere, don't you? How many of you are ready to at least restart if we need, if we're not starting for the first time? Here's the question. Where will alignment in my life change my depth and range? Where's my hand on the valve? Where can I open it? What do I need to do to open it? And then here's your starter. Can I at least encourage and share? How many of you believe you can encourage somebody? But some of us are a little bit rusty. And some of us want to say, Lord, that's not my personality. How many of you know he's in the business of changing personalities? He says to me occasionally, you stingy old thing. You could give that away and you'd never miss it. But one day I might need it, Lord. That's a shiny apple. That's a bag of the Primo candy. That's a Reese cup. And when we just eagerly say, okay, at first, by the way, it's painful to encourage. It's not normal. It's painful to share. But let me just tell you this. Start. Someone will show up beside you. And he'll say, this is what I do. I give. I share. I encourage. I speak a word that brings life and brings health and brings significance and meaning. And it may just need to be a word. Some, how many of you think you could start with body language? Let's try this one. How many of you think you could go? Try it in the store. Somebody does something for you. Didn't even have to say something. But I just spoke volumes to them. Hey, thank you. That's great. You went the extra mile. I just want to let you know I appreciate that. You don't know how Jesus can step right in there and go, oh, thank you, I'll take it from here. And I'll speak to their heart. I'll speak to what's going on inside of them. So as we worship over these next seven minutes, why don't you just get yourself closed in with the Holy Spirit and say, can you help me with the valve? Can you help me become a Barnabas? To be known as somebody, I'd like to be known as money bags, but can I start by being called son of encouragement? Somebody who can light the room like a Tom Hollingsworth. Somebody who can step into somebody's life and in two minutes can walk away and leave behind a trail of flowers in their footsteps that encourages that person. That's a great ambition. And it's, it's, it's doable by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Honey, as you lead us. Amen. Everyone would stand to your feet. I want to do a, a farewell like Paul. This wasn't his final farewell. At the end of a letter, that sounds like this. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. Spirit. Soul and body. May He manifest a grace event that turns your spirit, transforms your soul, heals and strengthens your physical body.
In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you as you